You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Go with me to the Old Testament book of the Bible, uh, the book of Ruth. I want you to turn there with me. We want to focus here together, uh, both in this service uh, in person and those of us that are those that are with us online, we welcome you as well. And let's take, turn to the book of Ruth, and I want you to turn to the first chapter. As you're going there, uh, we are going to take a moment to do something together. And it's not something we want to spend a lot of time on, but let me do this. Let's take a moment to just reflect back here as we are on the cusp of the end of a year, moving into another year. Uh, let's take a moment to look back into 2020. I'm going to ask you a question And the question would be this, what do you see? Many of us can answer the question with a lot of different responses, but perhaps some of the responses could be this. Here's what I see. I see a virus. I see masks. I see quarantine. I see sporting events being canceled from coast to coast. I also see shutdowns of businesses, And even churches, some of which have yet to recover. I also see elections. I see injustices. With you, I also see, as we look at this picture together, people's freedoms being challenged. Suicide rates going up. Live stream church services becoming a norm for many congregations during this time. And perhaps you and I could do this. We could just add to that. More and more things that we've seen over the last year. And if you stay focused on that picture too long, it'll upset you. But let me tell you what else I see. I also see in the same year, among the same things paralleled next to them, families spending a lot more time together than they had been used to. I also see churches opening back up as essential salt and light a part of communities, because God knows the people of this world need the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is opening back up. I see community outreaches happening, even in the midst of this time. I see people smiling and appreciating gratitude in a lot of different realms. I see people realizing virus or no virus, God's people must persevere because we have a gospel that will never depressed. We've got a fiery joy that just can't stop. We've also got a kingdom that can't be shaken and it's not going to quit. And we've got a savior that's never going to die again. We serve Jesus Christ and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church according to the way he said it. So our celebration today in the midst of a challenging year can also be one of celebrating the building blocks that God does in the midst of hard times. Unfortunately, though, this message of hope is what we can actually lose sight of in times of hardship and pain, in times where there are different realms of fear and doubt. Some of these things are things that we've been acquainted with this year in a lot of different respects. One thing I want us to do right now out of the Bible is to go ahead and dive in to a group of people in our Bible that know what it's like in this respect as well. 
in the Old Testament book of Ruth. It's a story in our Bible that takes place chronologically during the time frame of the book of Judges. So when you go read the Old Testament book of Judges that precedes this book, Ruth, as we know it, takes place in that same book, in that timeline. The period of the Judges included guys like you've heard of Samson and guys like Gideon. And in the Judges, these people here, this was a time in Israel's history that we would identify as the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages of Israel history because it was marked by unprecedented and unparalleled times of selfishness, immorality, faithlessness, widespread irresponsibility. That's why God would send the judges in Israel's history because Israel kept getting themselves down in the mud and they kept on messing around and not taking God's word serious. And then God would send up judges to deliver them and try to get them back on track. That went up and down, up and down. That's the timeline that we find Israel and this book, of, this book of Ruth happening during that time. And so right there, against the backdrop of the book of Judges, of a ton of resp- irresponsibility and weak character, here comes Ruth. Shining pure, bright, faithful, coming out of the book. Here is this young lady who is so amazing in so many respects as well. Here's what makes her remarkable is that Ruth is actually a Moabite. She's a Moabite Gentile. So in other words, what that means is she's not a Hebrew Jewish person. She is actually somebody different. But yet she's mentioned right here in our Bible in this way. She comes out of the tribes of the people of Moab that are actually the enemies to Israel. So right here in the front row and center of our Bible book is a lady named Ruth who's a Moabite, who's a part of the enemies of Israel, and God has her right here. In fact, she's even mentioned as one of the four ladies in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who comes right down the line. So this lady is amazing in that way. Overall, the book of Ruth is a story that starts off with tragic circumstances, but then it begins to gradually increase into what becomes a new beginning. And what we love about that picture is because it looks just like life looks for us. It looks the same way because it's never going to be perfect. It's going to many times have challenges and difficulties. Some are more severe than others. It's not always Always days where there's no trouble and pain. And in the book of Ruth, we find it this way. There are pathways throughout these these four chapters of this book that prove that God's faithfulness in loving and caring and superintending providentially for his people is undeniable. It's all over this book. And as much as I would love to go ahead and preach through all four chapters, I'll save that and we'll just look today in the first chapter to get a good picture of what these things look like. Today I want to preach to you on this passage about God's pathway to a new beginning. And the reason why that's important in this moment is because we are on the bookend of an end of a year 
We're going into a new time frame. We've, we're leaving one season of life and we're about to turn the chapter to a new season. And one of the tragedies that can happen many times in our life is that we've had bad, challenging, ugly things to deal with. And when life brings those things in, we do not want to recycle those defeats, live in those tragedies, live in that pain, and never ever know what it's like to move on and to move forward into what God has next. If you and I could just go to chapter 4 and get to the end of this book, you and I would look at Naomi in this passage of this chapter 1 and go, wow, if she only could have seen chapter 4 when she was walking through chapter 1. That's what life looks like. Because right now, if we're vulnerable and honest and transparent in the presence of our God, let's just go ahead and take a look right now at our lives. And let's identify if there are any broken things. Broken things that are still yet to be healed. Things that are not quite what they need to be. Things that we know are maybe challenging. Maybe some things are getting a little better. But we find ourselves living in those things. Take a look at any broken things in life, in family, in career. Broken things in marriage. Things that are broken in friendships, animosities, things that are still su su surfacing even this morning. And if that is true for any one of us today, wherever we could be on the path toward healing and restoration, wherever we are, I really, really want you to just jump into the text with me. I want us to see what the Bible says. And I want us to know that we're not talking about some kind of made-up story. This is a real woman with a real life who had some real troubles that God brought breakthrough in a beautiful way. That can be your story too. But you and I need to take the principles out of the text and let's see exactly what God has in store for this lady we call Ruth. So do this with me. I want, to see, want you to see with me beginning in chapter 1 here. There are four different pathways that God uses difficulty to direct us. So understand very quickly that the pathway is not a, a bed of roses. This is a path that has thorns in the roses. This is when we have difficult paths that we must go through to get to the beautiful that waits on the other side. But there is no detour. There is no back road. There are some times when you just got to be Israel and you just got to go straight through Jericho and there's no going around it. Sometimes you just got to go into that lion's den, Daniel. Sometimes, Moses, you're just going to have to go straight into Egypt and face the king. Sometimes you're just going to have to go ahead and defeat these small, these Gideon, this, this army with your small army, Gideon. Sometimes you just got a small little bit to work with. Sometimes there's not a whole lot going on, but there's a God bigger than all the smallness of everything else. He's the God. That's the God of Naomi in the text. And he's the Lord who's seeing this woman through. So I want you to see with me that many times in our life when we have the difficulties, we would wish there would be some other way that God would deliver, that would help, that would bring about a new beginning. Why does it have to be this hard? Even Jesus our Lord said, if it's possible to take the cup, if it's possible to have another way, then I will. But here's what we pray with God's will. God, your will be done. In my 
life through my circumstance, no matter how ugly it is, and I wish it could be different. Your will be done through me. Let's go, Lord. And we began to walk that journey. Go with me in this text and see the pathways God took the ladies on in this text. And know how difficult it was. And look what he did to bring them to the other side. So here's what we find in chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. And she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After, they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Immediately as chapter 1 launches off, you and I get a taste in our mouth that causes us to have great, great compassion for what we read here. You have to remember, we all do, that this is, this is something that, that took place very unexpectedly. They did Uh, What it all begins with right here is that we see that there's a lot going on in those first five verses. But the pathway of difficulty that Naomi is being forced to travel. She didn't ask for this. This is happening. This was not a part of the plan, you know. But it's happening. And this difficult path is one of great loss. Sometimes. The way God brings about a different direction for life is that sometimes people have to walk through loss in order to get to where he's going to bring them. We don't understand why it works that way. We never will try to explain it. But we see that there's the God of heaven is working a greater sovereign picture unknown to any human mind or philosophy that cannot understand the great things of God whose mind and thoughts and ways are higher than ours. So here he is. If we could just look at chapter 4 and see how chapter 1 is working out, we would get it. But right now, Naomi just knows she's going through a time of grief. Sometimes the way God brings about difficult or brings about our pathway direction comes through difficulty. Sometimes it comes through loss. And sometimes that loss is even a loss of hope. Because the Bible says here that Elimelech took his wife and his two sons, and they went to the land of Moab about 50 miles away. It took seven to ten days to walk the journey there outside of Bethlehem. Because there was a famine in the land. A famine meant there was no food. They needed to find food. It was not uncommon in Bible times for there to be famines, but it would have been very not common to completely uproot your entire family to go live in a land, especially the land of Moab, that is the enemies of Israel. So here we have it normal for a man, his sons, to take off and to go find food, go on a several day journey maybe. Honey, y'all stay here. We're not leaving. We're not moving just because there's no food. We're going to go find food and bring it back because this is where our life is. 
in Bethlehem. But to uproot, to go live in the enemy territory shows a great loss of hope. And many times when life becomes so difficult, loss of hope is what happens. It's amazing because the Hebrew name Bethlehem translates house of bread. So the irony is that the God of heaven was not going to forsake his people. He would still provide for them. They had to wait on his provision. He would bring it. But they got impatient and lost hope in God to provide during the famine. It's very interesting because in Psalm 37, 25, the Bible declares this word, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. God is faithful. And he will not allow his people to be forsaken. It doesn't mean the people won't walk through a difficult time. That's a part of the problem. Many times the misconception is because I follow Jesus, I will never have anything hard in my life. No. When we follow Jesus, we finally have someone to walk with us through our hardship versus trying to do it on our own without Christ. That's why we want the gospel to be proclaimed. That's why Jesus is Lord. That's why if you're lost today without Christ, I pray you repent and believe the gospel that Jesus died and rose again because he loves you and he cares for you, friend. He's the one that walks through uh, with us through these hard times. There was a loss of hope. Elimelech, what are you doing taking your whole family, man? Just go find food and bring it back. But there was a loss of life. Can you imagine in a 10-year decade, Naomi's husband and the two children of her womb have passed away. I mean, she's not only in the enemy's territory in a foreign land, but now she's in a land where she she has the two Moabite women they've been married, but she has no one else. What is happening here? She's, She's desperate. So what we know is there was even a loss of life here. Naomi is crushed with the death of her husband, her two sons. Let me ask you a question. I wonder if there's any one of us today, if you could say, have you experienced a loss this year? Maybe a loss of a friend, a family member. Loss of trust because your trust got broken. Maybe a loss of a job. Something stolen from you. The one thing we want to do out of the text is we don't want to be like a Limelech, respectfully, and look to Moab as our only hope. Instead, what we want to do is look to the God of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the living Lord, and we want to look to Him and say, Lord, You are my hope. And you are the one during my time of loss that I know you will not leave me or forsake me. I trust you to walk with me through this time. That's what it's about. That's what we look for. And today in a time in life, if there's any of us that have been on a difficult path and there have been losses, sometimes God's direction is working on your behalf and my behalf to bring about a greater good even through loss. But sometimes that loss comes with loneliness let me tell you look in your bible here at verse six and i want you to get a good picture of what loneliness is described as here it's very clear listen to this she and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave the land of moab 
Why are they leaving? Well, look at the verse. It says this, because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them what? Food. So God was faithful, amen? And he was going to bring food even in the middle of a famine because he's faithful. But he did. So they're going back to Bethlehem. Verse 7. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law. And they traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. She said to them, Each of you, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house of your new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. No. They said to her, we will go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home. My daughters, go, go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. What you find right here in this. It's very evident what's going on. The loneliness has crept in. And it's catastrophic to Ruth. To Orpah. To Naomi. But especially Naomi. She's struggling and suffering here in a very unique way. And the very wording that she's using here is indicative of the fact that, man, she's in a very deep valley of suffering at this moment. And what we find in the text here is that when God is working even sometimes through loneliness, the loneliness looks like loneliness through separation. And separation is why she says this word here over and over again. Go back to your mother's house. She keeps telling the ladies this because what Naomi is saying in the text is that, listen, you girls are young. I wish I could change it. I wish my boys were still alive. I can't help what happened. It is what it is. But you girls have got the rest of your life ahead of you. Y'all go remarry. Start over again. But don't let, you don't have to share my suffering. You don't have to go with me back to Bethlehem. This is my bitterness and I've got I've to take the pill. You don't have to take it. You guys go back to Moab. They began to have this three-way dialogue. You can just hear the intensity. You can imagine how severe of a tug of war this is. Do I go back? Do I stay? What do I do? Because they love Naomi. I mean, they've been with her for 10 years. She's like family to them now. This is not easy. Sometimes that loneliness is by separation in the manner that it comes and the ugliness that it comes. But sometimes even that loneliness is even by that deep, dark suffering of abandonment. What I'm saying is this. Naomi says what everybody else would be thinking that doesn't want to actually say it out loud when they're in the deepest, darkest suffering maybe they've been in in a long time. 
when we hit low points of which we don't want to admit, maybe we don't want to talk about it, and it's hard to even say it, but Naomi has gotten to a point of being so low that she senses and has convinced herself that somehow God has turned his back on her, which is not true. Because she's listening to her anxiety. She's listening to her fear and her doubt and her grief. She's not listening to the truth of God's word. She's only listening to the emotion that comes from the trauma of what has happened. And she's been through it. And we're not insensitive to that at all in this moment at all. In this pulpit, I assure you, we care for her. We know she's suffering. But she needs some help. She needs someone to help her. Somebody made it. quoted years ago and said this statement loneliness, loss pain, sorrow these are disciplines God's gifts to to drive us to his very heart so that it will increase our capacity for him sometimes it works in that way and that's the way God is working even in this text, Naomi's at such a low point she doesn't know how to go forward She doesn't really know what to do next. She just knows she doesn't want the two girls to come with her because she's now so alone. Can you imagine? At least Ruth and Orpah can go back to Moab where they have their families. They have their community. They have their society. They have people they've grown up with. Even though their husbands have passed on, there are people there to help them. Ruth, Orpah, have it made. But Naomi... She's going back to Bethlehem, nothing. Her only memory in Bethlehem was where Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion were. That's when they left. She needs help. She's low. The time that we and I would understand this abandonment is how she feels. Let me ask you this question. And the question's a real question. Is there any one of us, maybe, that seriously struggle with loneliness? In this time of the year, it's sometimes common for that to be a factor. And we hurt for families and people that are having first Christmases without someone they love. Or walking out of a very difficult time with something else that took place and trying to move forward. These are tough times for some people. Is there any of us that struggle even with loneliness? To the point of where maybe we've begun to conclude like Naomi... I'm just not sure where the Lord is working in this anymore. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've waited. And it seems like nothing's changing. I don't really know what to do next. If you find yourself in that mindset, keep listening. Because Naomi did too. There's hope. Never give up. There's hope. And she began to realize this hope as things get closer to chapter 2 and to chapter 3. She saw God working, but just not in chapter 1. And what we begin to realize here is that if there's any of us that begin to conclude, is, is the Lord here? What's going on? I don't understand what's happening. Be careful. Just be careful because loneliness itself is a deep, dark pit that will muffle and drown out the truth of the Word of God. It will keep you and I from listening to what's going to free us, for what's going to help us, what's going to heal us. And instead, loneliness will keep you buried in the deep, dark pit of that specific issue. But God's word will pull you out. Jesus Christ will lift you up. He's the Lord who saves. I mean, he's the one that tells Lazarus, take the grave clothes off. Loose him and let him go. Amen? That's who he is. 
Christ does not like to see anybody bound by any addiction, any pain, any hardship, any past hurt. He loves it when people are free to be who they need to be in Christ. That's for you this morning, my friend, if that's where you are. He loves you so much. He died for you. And he wants to free you. He wants to help you. I understand today that that's where this abandonment happened for Naomi. And so what we've got to remember and keep learning is that we never want to take our direction for life from the voice of loneliness or the voice of loss. We don't want to get our counseling from these voices that are anti-scripture. We want to hear from the word of God. We want to know what the God of heaven speaks into our circumstance so we can come out of it and walk with him through it. In fact, as Isaiah 43, 2, man, does God say it so well to Isaiah. He said this word as a declaration. I will be with you when you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire and the flame will not burn you. It's a declaration from God to Isaiah. It's his way of telling him, listen Isaiah, I didn't say you wouldn't walk through it. I just said you wouldn't burn when you did. I didn't say that the river, that you wouldn't go through the water. I just said I wouldn't make sure it wouldn't flood you. It's God's way of saying no weapon formed against you will prosper. Isaiah, I know you're going to still go through hard times, but I'm walking with you like I was Daniel when he was in the den of lions. I'm there in the midst. I shut the mouth of lions. I know how to stop when things have gone far enough. Trust me. Don't abandon me. Because I haven't abandoned you. But it's so easy, isn't it? To listen to those voices. And start taking our direction. Convincing ourselves this is what's best. And then all of a sudden we start becoming what we're listening to. Instead of listening to the freeing, liberating, inerrant, inspired word of God. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. That's what we need. A couple of guys were walking to a village. They got near a river. And as they got near the river, it was between this village they left and the village they were going to. They got there and they noticed there was a lady who was sitting at the edge of the river. She was sitting by the very spot where there was this bridge. Well, a recent heavy monsoon rainstorm came through and washed the bridge away. The lady was crying and upset because she couldn't cross through to the other side. Fortunately, this area of the river was shallow enough to tread through. But she wasn't wanting to do that by herself. She had a lot of things with her to get across to the village. So the men said, well, ma'am, we'll carry you through. So they got hand to hand, they carried the lady right on the cross, and she got on the other side, quit crying, and she made it on to the next village. About one mile down the road, the two men are walking, and the guy just, while walking, says, man, look at my clothes. Look at how filthy I am right now from carrying that woman. And man, my back is really starting to hurt me a little bit too. The guy listening to him didn't say a word, they just kept walking. Three miles later, he gets down, and the man just falls out. Falls out on the ground, starts laying out on the ground, complaining and moaning and groaning. And he says, oh, my back hurts. I can't walk anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. 
And he's looking up at the guy who's standing on his feet. And he says, why isn't your back hurting? And the guy looks down at him and he smiles. He's shaking his head. He said, well, that's because I sat the woman down five miles ago. You haven't sat her down yet. You know what he's saying? You won't let go. You keep carrying the burden. You keep carrying what it is that you don't like. And you can't get over what you don't like. So that's why you haven't sat her down yet. Sometimes when we have these challenges in life that we've got to walk through, when we won't let go of the pain of the past, we'll end up hurting ourselves from carrying the burdens. Before you know it, that's all we know. That's all we talk about. That's all that keeps resurfacing. It keeps cycling through. Comes up, has its high points and low points. It's in conversations. It's with certain people. And before you know it, it's becoming who we are. That's not what Jesus Christ died for us for. He died for us to be free in the way that we can say, listen, the only master I serve is not my past, not the pain. I serve Christ. He's Lord. He calls the shots. I love him. I live for him. But when we don't let go, that's the things that can happen. Sometimes when God's given us direction in our life that through difficult times, it comes through loss many times. It comes through loneliness, but it comes through letting go. And this is what Naomi was having to do along with Ruth in an amazing way for these two ladies. Take a look in your Bible and let's look together at what it says right here beginning at verse 16. Actually, verse 14. It says, together here. It says that Ruth, when Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah is saying goodbye and going back to Moab, but Ruth hasn't left yet. She clung to Ruth. She's hanging on to her for dear life. Look into what she says. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Notice that's a little g. That means that the Moabites worship false gods, not the God of Israel. That's why they were different in that way. So she goes back to worship her God, false God. She says, follow your sister-in-law. But here's what Ruth said. Do not persuade me to leave you or go back and follow you and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. Wow. In that that specific verse, in that passage, in the way that that happens together, we get a picture right here in front of us of what Naomi is having to face and what Ruth is having to face. Now everybody listen, because, because what's happening is this. They've walked through loss. They've walked through loneliness. Now they're having to face something new that they haven't had to face, and that's letting go. It's very hard for some of us to do, you know? It's hard to really let go, because when we let go, we're letting go of what we think we have control of in our emotions of attachment to whatever it was that we could not get past 10 years ago, one year ago, five months ago. We, we hold on. But to let it go is to kiss it goodbye. To let it go is to turn over to God. To let it go is to somehow not let it have control anymore or for ourselves. So what we've got to do is be willing by faith to trust God, to let it go, 
but it's hard to do. But it's not impossible. Because we serve the God of the impossible. So it's all possible. Letting go today for Ruth was to let go of the past. This lady was willing to walk away from everything she knew and to follow a lady she'd only known for 10 years into a land called Bethlehem she'd never lived before. You know why? It's because Ruth, her dreams were larger than her memories. She was willing to look ahead by faith because she knew Moab couldn't compare to the God of Naomi. Somehow, at some point, this Moabite Gentile named Ruth, hanging out, chilling for 10 years with this Bethlehem family that worshiped the God of Yahweh, a God of heaven. Somewhere along the way, Ruth became a believer. We don't know when it happened. But for her to say what she said in verse 16 and 17 is to say, I don't want to go back to Orpah's God. I'm not going back to any false God. I have learned the true God. Yahweh is the God of heaven. He's the one I love. And if he's with you, I'm going where you're going. Woo! Y'all don't make me preach by myself. Amen? All she can say is that that's what I've got to have. So I'm going to go with you. And when she did, she never, ever would have to look back. You know what this means for you and I. Philippians 3 and 13 is a thing that, a truth that Paul has told the church at Philippi. And here's what he said. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have that or have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. And reaching forth to what is ahead. It's very interesting because Paul was having to really practice that at certain times. Because what he had to forget is that he had to forget about the Christians that he had to kill before he became a follower of Christ. He was trying to eliminate Christianity. Paul had to forget about the faces and the names. He was there when Stephen the martyr was being stoned. The Bible says he even held the coats of the one stone in Stephen, Paul had to get out of his mind the junk that he had walked through. And he, he learned this when he told the Philippian church, I forgot what's behind me. I'm putting it aside so I can focus on what Christ has ahead of me. Many times in the difficult paths we have to walk, we come to points where we truly, wholeheartedly get on our knees, our face before God and say, Lord, I'm letting it go. And sometimes letting go of the past also means letting go of even stubbornness. Because even Naomi here had to come to a point where this lady is over and over saying, go back to your homeland, go back to your mom's house, go home, my daughters, go home. Over and over she is. And finally in verse 18 she says, okay, I can't persuade you. <laughs> come on, Ruth, just follow along. But what was happening is this. Listen, what happens if Ruth had listened if she had gone back, Ruth was God's agent. Ruth was God's messenger to Naomi. Naomi was helped in this whole book of the Bible because of Ruth. God used Ruth to help her. And man, did she help her heal too. She was God sent. I'm glad that Naomi finally understood that it was good that Naomi was allowing herself to yield in this moment. Because God was going to bless her yielding. To provide Ruth along the way. Naomi's grief was stubbornly blinding her from her God-sent comfort in her life of Ruth. Let me ask you a question. Are there any things 
in the past. Not that we want to visit this long, but if there is anything in the past right now that you and I might need to consider letting go, forgiving others for what they have done, forgiving ourselves maybe for some hard times that we made bad decisions and trying to still overcome some of that today, walking away even from generational bondages of Moab, Maybe in your family, among friends, there's been generational things, and you are the one, maybe, to break the bondage, start a new life, begin new, do things for Christ in a way that nobody has before you. Praise God. That bondage, generationally, somebody needs to stop it. Has God sent a Ruth, maybe even into your life, to help you grieve the loss and the loneliness? But maybe that person... Maybe it's been easy for you and I to stubbornly maybe just kind of back off of that and not wanting to receive that. Let me say to you, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, a very marvelous verse, and here's what he says. As a reminder, when God's bringing comfort to our lives, sometimes he does it through other people. And here's what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Wow. Be encouraged today that the one thing that we may be struggling in, God has sent someone at work, you as a lady, maybe another lady that somebody has sent, God has sent and provided you with somebody to talk to in a way that can help you biblically. Maybe it's in a family friendship. It might be even through someone here at the church. It could very well be that God has given maybe some way to help. But you just have to be willing to say, Lord, but I don't want to have to talk about that. Or Lord, I just want to hang on to this. No, no, no. God has sent you a Ruth to be ready for how God uses those people. Because he's comforted them in a way to help you be comforted too. That's how it works. You know why? Because no man's an island and we need one another. The body of Christ is interconnected. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And all we are just members of his body. Amen? And so we need one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to love one another. We need to encourage one another. It's already hard enough to live in this fallen world. So the church, let it wake up. Let it arise. Let the people of God love with the love of Christ. Unconditionally for the glory of God. That's what it's about. We need one another. And Ruth needed Naomi as much as Naomi needed Ruth. Sometimes the difficult path that we have to walk comes through loss and loneliness. Sometimes it's even through letting go what we don't want to let go of. But it's needed to let go, to move on to what God has in the new beginning in an amazing way. But we can't bring the old with the new. Last I knew... Old man crucified, new man alive in Christ. Amen? I don't bring the old life into the new life with Christ. I don't put old wine in a new wine skin. It's all about old and new. So whatever it is that needs to stay dead and old, let it die, have a funeral for it. Let's move on to the new and see what Christ has and live in what Christ has. Be free in what Christ has because following Jesus is the best ever decision anybody could ever make. He's Lord of life. And the sooner we figure that out, the more we'll realize just how good and great God really is. 
full of mercy and truth and grace and life. I love him, don't you? Don't you love following him? Sometimes, last of all, the difficult path we have to cross sometimes is through loathing. When I say loathing, I'm referring to specifically the attitude of the heart that struggles to have to accept what it has to do. Usually expressed through disgust and dislike. You do it, but you sure don't want to do it. It's many times the faces you see on Monday morning when you're going to work in the cars, right? Okay. Sometimes it's the faces you see on a child when they have to clean the room. And they are doing what they have to do. Loathing is a very real attitude response of the heart. Naomi is loathing. She doesn't want to do this. She almost has been forced into this. But she's got to do what she's got to do. But she's loathing. In 2019, there was a movie that came out in theaters, Christian cinema, called Overcomer. Many of you may have seen the movie. If you haven't yet seen it, I certainly encourage you to do so. There is a scene in the movie where this all-star basketball coach who has an all-star team that is stacked and ready for the next year to take a championship suddenly loses his team and is given a track team instead to coach with only one athlete who has asthma. He's loathing badly. God has sent a man into his life who I would say is a Ruth to a Naomi. And the man is blind and he can't see. He's suffering in the hospital. I want you to take a look at this and get a glimpse of what loathing looks like. But pay attention to the way the man counsels them out of it. Let's take a look. Thomas? Yes. Hey, it's John Harrison. Oh, it's the maybe, maybe not basketball coach. Yeah, it's, uh, it's looking more like maybe not. You got time for a visit? Well, let me check my calendar. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I could squeeze you in. Interval training is good, too. Run one minute fast, then one minute slow. Then increase to two minutes fast, one slow. Three fast, well... You get the idea. Oh, this is good. Oh, it should go without saying that them eating healthy and getting good sleep is crucial for your team. Well, I only have one runner, and she's got asthma, so I'll have to figure out. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold up. You, you lost your ball team. You changed sports, and you still got no team. Well, that's sad even for me. <laughs> well, you... You see why I'm so frustrated. Yeah, actually, I do. This year, I had the players. I had the schedule. I mean, this was going to be our year. I'm sorry. I'm going to dump on you. Sean. If I asked you who you are, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I'm a basketball coach. And if that's stripped away? Well, I'm also a history teacher. Okay. We take that away. Who are you? Well, I'm a husband. I'm a father. And God forbid that should ever change. 
But if it does, who are you? I don't understand this game. It's not a game, man. Who are you? Um, I'm a white American male. <laughs> yeah, well, that's for sure. <laughs> Is there anything else? Well, I'm a Christian. And what's that mean? It means follower of Christ. And how important is that? It's very important. Interesting. All right, so far down your list. Okay, wait a minute. I could have easily said Christian hey, first. Yeah, but you didn't. Look, John. Your identity will be tied to whatever you give your heart to. Doesn't sound like the Lord asked first place. You're calling me a bad Christian? Let me be a little direct. Last time you were here, you said you'd pray for me. Did you? No. No. For someone who knows the Lord, you're acting like somebody who doesn't, which makes me wonder. What have you allowed to define you? When you lost your team, it didn't just disappoint you. It devastated you. Something or someone will have first place in your heart. But when you find your identity in the one who created you, it'll change your whole perspective. powerful reminder that even we can look at <clears throat> at the visual example of what Naomi was having to be reminded of as well. Man, when you find your identity in what you do and it becomes who you are, which can change in a day, a blink of an eye can all be gone and then left with nothing. But when our identity is wrapped up in Christ and being defined by who He is, by letting the success and the accomplishment and the impact of our lives be measured by obedience to the Word of God and nothing else, that's when life takes on meaning. That's when every day is a new day by the grace and mercy of God and you begin to live in fulfillment. Fulfilling what we're really here for what we're wired for, what we're designed for when we are created in the image of God to begin with, to live life for him and to give him glory. That's what it's about. But in this world we live in, that's not the message. That's not what we get at all from our world around us. It's just the opposite. It's all about you instead of all about him. So you know what we need to remind ourselves here today? Is that even as that coach was loathing, the way he was loathing, 
and trying to go one foot in front of another. He was allowing his status and reputation and the mistakes and his career and everything else, he was allowing that to define who he was. But that's not what the Bible teaches. We are defined only by one. Judged by one at that judgment before the Lord Jesus. And therefore, he is worthy to define us and to save us and to love us with an everlasting love. And that's why we can continually give him glory for that. Naomi could relate to the coach in that way, but listen to these verses. In verse 19, as we come to a close of the chapter, here's what it happens. When Naomi, it says, the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. What we find in this text that becomes even more apparent to us as well is that the loathing here that has happened is that Naomi's loathing, one foot in front of another, just trying to get there. She shows up in Bethlehem. And even though God has given her a new beginning, she has got her own welcome home crowd. Ten years has not been long enough to forget who she was. They still remember her. They even call her by her first name. They love her. She must have had a great impact ten years before in Bethlehem. They welcome her home. But her welcome home was not received at all because she wasn't in, in the mood for it. She didn't have the heart for it. She was still grieving and said, call me Mara, which means, in translation, bitterness. She was loathing the new beginning and even loathing the bitterness. Naomi's identity is now wrapped up in her pain, not in the promises of Yahweh, the God of heaven. Naomi is so much now defining who she is by what has happened to her. She has forgotten who God, who, who God is and what he can do for her and through her. She's forgotten that. So badly we just want to come alongside Naomi and love on her and help her and say, Naomi, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want, even in the middle of a famine. He makes you to lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside the still waters. He restores your soul, even now, back in Bethlehem. Though you have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, of your husband and your sons, you don't have to fear any evil, Naomi, because God is still with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you through Ruth. He's led you in the path of righteousness, even though it's been difficult. But he's done it for his namesake. Surely he's prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies of Moab. Your cup is running over. Look at how many people still love you and want you. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, Naomi. He even anoints your head with oil. He loves you. And he hasn't forgotten you. 
Could you imagine what it would be like in that moment for her to know how much I'm loved and how much I'm cared for? In spite of the difficult circumstances, even right now, I have a question as I kind of come to an end here. No matter how difficult the path has been, wherever 2020 or even before, whatever that looks like, can you see the mercy of God through some new opportunities, some new horizons, some new friendships, new growth in Christ, new provisions? Are you taking advantage maybe of some of those opportunities? Or have you allowed maybe any of the bitterness that comes alongside those just to consume you? I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to say I'm sorry. I I come alongside anyone here in the church family as well to just say if it's been difficult and you've walked that journey and you can identify some of these truths as reality in your own life, know that we love you. We are here for you. You are cared for. I don't even have to know you to say that I love you because you're made in the image of God and Christ died for you like he did for me. You're cared for. But if you're hurting this morning and the pain is real, then it would be right to say, God, what Jeremiah said in chapter 20, verse 9 is still so true. If I say I won't make mention of him or speak any longer in his name, his message becomes a fire burning in my heart. Shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. It's Jeremiah's way of saying, God, even if I'm far away from you for some reason, I still have got to be near you. I've got to speak your word because it's within me. Wherever we are this morning, the message is very clear. The new beginnings that God gives us is he takes us through difficult times and seasons of life. But listen, those seasons are not called centuries. They're seasons. They don't last forever, even though it seems like they'll never end. And always to the one that is trusting in the Lord while in the difficult season. And even if all you got is one centimeter to offer, one centimeter, one centimeter, that's one centimeter plenty for a God who can take bounds. He loves you. And he'll take you through. But while you can't see this side of the mountain that's so ugly, on the other side, there is a new beginning A new way, but this difficult path is the only way to get there. And if it's been marked by loss and loneliness and letting go and loathing, hang in there. Naomi couldn't see chapter 4. She could only see chapter 1, and it was bad. But thanks be to God who takes the evil or the bad things that can happen to us and turns them around for good. That's who he is. But he needs us to trust him. We may not be able to change the trial. But whatever we do, don't let it change you. Hang in there. Trust him this morning. For salvation, if you've not been saved by Christ and you need to be saved to become a Christian, or if you already are, if there's healing and restoration needed, then today, let it be, we can cry out to God and not bring the old into the new.
But start new with him now. Trust. No matter how difficult it is. He's with you. Father, we bow our hearts to you. And we know these truths out of scripture. They are what free us in such a way if we yield to the truths. I pray blessings on all who are here this morning. No matter what circumstance anyone could be walking through right now, Lord, be near them in a way that you reach their heart by the Holy Spirit to help them reach you. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is your service. This is your time, Lord. Use this as is pleasing in your sight. And may we all give you the glory when we leave this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, help us be near. Amen. Let's all stand together at this time as we seek his face.